Today we're here with Merle Burkholder, and he joins us as, with a history of a Bible teacher and pastor for over 30 years. He's currently staff pastor for Believers Fellowship and administrator for Open Hands Ministry. So Merle, let's start with the question of why do I believe in God? Why would someone believe in God? It starts there in why I believe that God exists. And primarily, I look at uh, what Romans 1 says, what Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, that God is, so it's God's uh, revealing himself through through nature. And you look at the world, and the world just doesn't look like a place that happened by accident. There's Whether you go to the, a large scale, you look at the universe, or you go down to the micro scale and you look at small things, it just seems like there's design. It seems like it it's too complex. It's too orderly to have happened by accident. Also, just if there is no God, then there's really no meaning in life because um, if the natural life, what we experience, if we're just biological things and it's all just, we're just basically animals, then life becomes meaningless because there's, there's, and we really don't have any value. We're, we're, there's no ultimate value in life and there's no purpose because then why does it matter how I live? Because there's, I'm not accountable to anyone. There's nothing outside of this life anyway, so I might as well just enjoy myself and live for myself. And, and so without God, then life has no meaning, there's no value, there's no purpose, and it really becomes pretty much a matter of despair and no point to it, really. And so either you just live for yourself or you might as well kill yourself and have it over with because life is painful and and so why bother? Why go through the rest of it if there's no no purpose to it anyway, no meaning to it? But you come back to, I come back to the question then that Richard Dawkins asks in, it might be nice to have a purpose to life. It might be a really, it might feel really good to say, yeah, there's meaning to life and there's a purpose to human life and all that. But is it really true? And is, does God really exist? Or is it just something that I need to kind of make me feel like, well, I do have purpose and I do have significance. And I go back to uh, some of Thomas Aquinas's five uh, proofs of the existence of God. But two of those in particular stand out to me. One is the element of first cause and that everything has to be caused by something. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have things that just happen by themselves. There's something that causes everything that's in existence. So what is that first cause? And science can do a good job of kind of documenting what happens and, and the sequence of how things happen. But what made it happen? What started the whole thing off? So if you go back and you say, well, it was, you know, the whole universe started out of the Big Bang, but then you're back to, but what caused the Big Bang? What, if there was this matter that was all in this compressed state and then it exploded and the universe began expanding, but what made it explode? And where did the matter come from to start with? And so you still get back then to questions of origin rather than questions of process. It, makes more sense to think that there's a, a living, intelligent being that is eternal 
that planned this whole process rather than it just kind of happening. The second uh, thing that Thomas Aquinas said that I, really makes a lot of sense to me is the thing of the unmoved mover and that all of the universe is in motion. So mm-hmm. the earth is revolving, it's revolving around the sun, but the sun is part of the solar system and the solar system itself is in motion inside of our galaxy and our galaxy is in motion. If there's motion, there has to be a force that sets things into motion. So something has to be stationary and because how do you know something's in motion if there isn't a stationary point mm-hmm. where... If you can't measure it against something. Right. So how, how do you sure. know it's moving if you don't have a stationary point to say, oh, it's moving in relation to this. And plus, if there's motion, it takes force to get that motion started. And so you need some force who started the motion that we see in in the universe. Those two things out of Thomas Aquinas's five points really kind of say to me there has to be someone, there has to be a, um, a force outside of nature itself and outside of matter itself that actually got this whole thing going and that put design into it. So that's interesting, but how would you respond to those who say that uh, those proofs, such as McGrath, he, he would say that, well, that presupposes that God exists rather than it being a proof. How would you respond to that? Yeah, that's true um, in that they are evidences of the existence of God. But um, when you talk about proofs, <clears throat> it's very hard to prove that the supernatural exists or doesn't exist. So we look at matter, we look at um, the physical world, and we can say, yes, that does that does exist. The immaterial world, it's very difficult to prove that, yes, that does exist exist or it doesn't, or even an event, did that happen, did it, didn't it happen? The way I respond to that um, question about Aquinas's points is that when you talk about proof, there's the burden of proof. Like you get into a court system and the burden of proof is on one side mm-hmm. or the right. other. So mm-hmm. if uh, a crime happened, it's the burden of proof is on the prosecutor to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that, yes, this person did commit that crime. So the defendant has the advantage of not needing to prove that he didn't do it. He just has to kind of let the prosecutor try to prove that that he did. And in our system, we believe a person is innocent until proven guilty, so that burden of proof is on the prosecutor. In this case... And what atheists often like to do is put that burden of proof on us as Christians and say, well, you have to prove that God exists. Like, you can't prove that God exists. So until you can prove that God exists, then I won't believe in God. But my response to that is, the starting point makes a difference. And so, like you're saying, if you presuppose that God exists, well, then that's different than presupposing that God doesn't exist because that shifts the burden of proof. But when we look at history, that uh, revelation of God through nature has been so strong that even tribal people that that have had no education, they believe in the existence of a creator God. They, they see it. Have most people down through history believed that there's a creator God, or haven't they? Most people mm-hmm. have believed that there's a creator God. So I say... The burden of proof 
is on the atheist who now comes along and says, no, there is no God. Prove to me that there is no God. Like the general consensus of humanity, Christian, non-Christian, take Christianity out of the equation altogether. Tribal religions and almost everyone who has ever been born has believed that there's a creator God. So I say the burden of proof is on the atheist to prove to me that God doesn't exist. Like I'm just doing what everybody, most people have done throughout history and saying, yeah, I believe there's a God. So now you're saying there's not? I don't have to prove to you. You prove to me that there's not. Let's now shift to another question. What advice would you give to someone who is having doubts? uh, They're having intellectual doubts about the existence of God. I would say that uh, don't be afraid of those doubts. The person who has doubts and seeks information, like when I say I doubt, I have doubts, that means I need more information. So there's a difference Mm -hmm. between doubt and unbelief. The person who's doubting says, I'm willing to believe. I just need more information and I just need to think about this and I need to look at it from different perspectives and then I'm going to make a decision and I'm open about what decision I'm going to make. The person who has unbelief, they're not looking for more information. They've already made a decision. And Jesus never criticized people for having questions or doubting. Like when Thomas, Thomas is of course the famous doubter and he says, you know, I won't believe unless I can put my fingers in his, the nail prints and put my hand in his side. And when Jesus came, showed up and Thomas was there, he didn't kind of say, come on, Thomas, like you should have never had those questions. He was like, no, here it is. Like here's the evidence. Go ahead. And so I don't think, I don't think that God is too, I don't think he's critical of our questions. And I, I think the person who questions and then arrives at a conclusion probably has a stronger faith than the person who never has any questions.